We are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We are going to do something a little bit different. It is Family Sunday, and I need some young volunteers. Maybe like four, five, six-year-olds. Do I? All right, Penelope, you can come up. I need two more. Is anyone else? Anyone else? Someone? Charlotte, can you help? Come on up here. All right, let's see. One more. Elena, come on up. All right. Here's what we're going to do, because I know you guys came in and were really curious about all of this, and I need some help right now. I'm going to call Pastor Billy up this morning. Now, some of you have already noticed a pattern that when I have Pastor Billy come up and we're doing skits, Pastor Billy's always the bad guy. The only reason because of that is just he's a way better actor than I am. This time, he's not going to be the bad guy, okay? Pastor Billy is going to play the role of Jesus, okay? Now, we're just pretending, but Pastor Billy's going to be Jesus in this. Now, here's what I want you two guys to do. When we talk about the Bible, we talk about all of these things that we're looking forward to. But we also know that we've been separated from God because of sin, that we're broken. But all the time, people are trying to fix the problem. We are like empty jars. There's no living water in here. So here's the goal. Pastor Billy, if he's Jesus, Jesus is going to see if, you can get, if there's enough living water in here for you to be saved. So here's what we need to do. I need to get water from this one to that one. Can you guys help me do that? All right, I've got some tools for you guys. All right, we've got a sieve for you. We have this colander for you. And we have another one for you. And I'm going to be cheering you on, okay? You guys need to work hard. So on your mark, you guys are going to get the water from here into there, okay? On your mark, get set, go. All right, yeah, keep going, keep going. Get the water over there. No, faster, go faster. You got to work harder. Run, pick it up, heavier, go. Get the water in there. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, there's nothing here. Faster, faster. Gotta go. Gotta go. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Guys, we need to cheer for them. Let's cheer. Maybe they need more. Go, 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 go. All right. All right. We can stop. How do you think you guys did? You think you did a good job? All right. Let's see. What do you think? I don't know. Hmm. Why didn't that work? Why weren't you able to get it over there? Were you guys not trying hard enough? Was that the problem? No, you, it's not that you weren't trying hard enough. Was it because you weren't running fast enough? Maybe, maybe you, people weren't cheering loud enough. Was that it? Why do you think that it didn't work for you guys to do this? There's holes in it that this isn't the right tool. It doesn't matter how fast you are, you would never be able to fill it. Okay, at the very end, I'm gonna need you guys to come back up after the message and you're gonna help me again, okay? But right now you can go back to your chairs and everyone's gonna give you a round of applause. Kids, right now, if you have your children's bulletin, here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw in the first part, maybe a, something broken on the top part and then something fixed on the bottom part. Maybe it's a broken cup that's leaking, but on the bottom part, it's a cup that is all together. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning. That the works of man, our works are never enough, can never make us whole. It doesn't matter how fast you run, how hard you try, it doesn't matter what you're doing, your works are like tools that don't work. That this is not the way to make you whole. But Jesus can. We're going to see in our passage today that Jesus is the only one who can fix our problems. Jesus is the only one who can make us whole. 
Our big idea this morning is that our works can never make us whole, but Jesus can. If you have your Bible with you, uh, before we turn to John chapter 5, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John 20, verses 30 and 31. This is a passage we've looked at a lot as we've gone through. It gives us the theme of John. It explains some of the reasons. Because in our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at the third sign that John includes in his gospel. The first sign we saw, Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. The second sign we saw last week as the official's son was healed. Now, we could look at those signs and we could try to guess why John gives all these signs in his book, or we can just look at why John tells us, because he gives us the answer. So John 20, verse 30 and 31 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life, in his name. What's John's goal in this book? What's the question that John looks to answer through the Gospel of John? We did this last week. I think you all know the, the answer. What's the question? Who is Jesus? Show your kids that when teachers ask questions in classes that you answer loudly. What's the question that John answers? Who is Jesus? But is John interested in just transferring information? Is John interested in just telling us, answering a question so that you can fill in the right multiple choice question on a test? No. The signs reveal the identity of Jesus. Only the Son of God could do the signs Jesus did. Only the Word who took on flesh can reveal the glory of the Father as the only Son. These signs point to who Jesus is, but there should be a response. The response is right here in this passage. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the reason John is so passionate that that would be our response is because there's a result. The result is continuing there. That by believing, you may have life in his name. John knows that we are empty vessels. That we are broken. That we do not have in ourselves what we need. And so John wants to tell us, this is who Jesus is. So that you may believe, and in believing, you may have life. But verse 30 says that Jesus did many other signs that are not included in John's gospel. This begs the question, why did John include the specific signs he did? Why did John pick the signs that he gives us in these books? Because they all help us get to that mission. He's very specific in doing that. And so as we're going through the signs, the question that should be nagging us in the back of our mind is, what does this sign specifically teach us? What does this sign do that helps us get to that conclusion that John wants? That we would believe in his name and in believing that we would have life. As I was studying our passage, which you can turn to now, John 5, verses 1 through 18. It's also on in your handout. But John 5, 1 through 18, the first, as I was starting to study it, that question of why is this sign here was kind of throwing me. Because some of the elements of this sign are not what I would expect. It's kind of following a different pattern. For example, in this sign, Jesus was not the one approached with a problem. At the wedding in Cana, Mary came to Jesus and told Jesus about the problem. Later, when we have the official son, the official son comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son. But in this passage that Billy read earlier for us, we don't have someone approaching Jesus. Rather, Jesus 
is approaching others. In this sign, Jesus does not ask for faith in his word before healing. Last week, Jesus required the official to believe and obey his word before he saw the sign. This week, the man is healed, and he doesn't even know who Jesus is, and he doesn't actually even try that hard to find out. But perhaps the most glaring difference is the lack of a response to Jesus' sign, or at least the response we would expect. Unlike the other signs we've seen, each time that we've seen a sign so far, John has made a point to, to highlight the result, the response, was that people believed. After his sign at the, of, at the wedding in Cana, the disciples believed in Jesus. Later in chapter 2, John doesn't tell us what signs Jesus did, but he says that many believed in Jesus because of the signs they had seen him do in Jerusalem. Last week, after the son of the, the official was healed, it says that the official and all of his household believed. But in this passage, the response is quite different. Instead of receiving Jesus, in this passage, those who see the sign reject him to the point where they decide that they would like to kill him. Why does John then include this sign? Because in this sign, in this story, Jesus exposes the weakness and inability of humanity to solve our own problems. Our inability to make ourselves whole. Throughout this passage, we are going to see the different ways that this man, the Jews, are trying to make themselves whole, but they're using man-made methods, and those cannot save. Our works can never make us whole, but Jesus can, but only for those who believe and receive Jesus. Kids, right now, if you open up your bulletin, you can draw the picture of the story we're going to be doing of the man being healed at the pool of Bethesda. Let's look at verse 1. After this, so after everything that's happened so far in the book, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John is presenting a new section in his gospel, different from the last section. Jesus is now going to encounter great opposition. Jesus is not going to have the same responses that he's had in the past to his signs. He's going to have people that are going to contradict him. They're going to fight against him. One of the things that John does is he kind of orders things around different Jewish feasts or festivals. The last section that we were in was all around the Passover, the first time that Jesus was in Jerusalem. Now he's at a different feast. We're not sure which feast that is, but he's back again in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he goes to a specific place. Look at verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. John, as an eyewitness to the things that Jesus did, he shares details of one who was there and could see those things. This week, I was talking through this passage uh, with Bill Mulligan, who's working in the nursery right now. So not Billy, but his, his dad. And he had the privilege of going to where most people agree is the actual pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And he, was, he texted me pictures and was showing me, and it really does fit what John describes. So John's talking about this place, but at this place, who's there? There's a multitude of people at this specific place. Who is it? The sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, when people got sick in those ways, it wasn't, they weren't put on welfare. They weren't taken to a group home. The harsh reality is that most people who became invalids of this way became beggars. That they had a harsh reality, that they were kicked out of their home. And so there is this place where there is a large group of them. Why? Why are they all at this single spot? Well, some of you might have noticed that in your handout, after verse 3, we would expect there to be verse 4. But go ahead, look in your handout. After verse 3, where does it go? 
to verse 5. I didn't forget how to count this time. But if you look in your Bible, you'll see that it does the same thing. It goes from verse 3 straight to verse 5. That verse 4 has been omitted from this section. Now, why is that the case? What, what was omitted and why was it omitted? Well, I'm going to read to you what the part that was omitted. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain t- seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So, that verse 4 explains that the reason there were so many sick and invalids in that place was because they, the, at different times, an angel would come down, he would stir the water, and then if the person that went into it would become healed. Okay, if that's the verse, why is it not in our Bible? The reality is because it shouldn't be. It's not actually part of the Bible. So during the time when, when John wrote the first Gospel of John, when he wrote what he did, he sent that out to people, and then people would take what he wrote, and they would copy it. John didn't make millions and millions of Bibles, and, and we have the exact one that John wrote. He wrote the original, and then people copied those. Most likely, at one time, someone t- saw that verse and so- said, let me explain what was happening here. Let me explain why they were all here, and they just added a little footnote. But then the next person went to write that down, and instead of saying it was a footnote, they put it into the Bible as part of Scripture. Now, there's a whole, def- uh, a whole study on textual criticism of what actually should be there and isn't, but suffice to say, that verse, verse 4, should not be in the Bible because it's not actually part of what John originally wrote. So we don't know whether or not it was really true that an angel ever did that. But what we can see is that that would be the reason why they were there. In verse 7, which absolutely is part of the Bible, it says that the man talks about seeing the waters stirred up. So, even though we don't see verse 4 as being part of the Bible, we can use verse 4 to understand why this group was actually there. Now, we don't know, and we're not going to spend our time on, oh, well, did it actually happen? Were people actually healed in that way? That's not the point. The reality is, even if they were healed at some times, it wasn't very common because we're going to see that this guy has been sick for 38 years. We're also going to know that Jesus has an immense ministry of people running to him to be healed. If the pool of Bethesda was a sure thing, Jesus' ministry of healing would have been obsolete because they're like, well, I can go to Jesus or, and maybe hope to find him somewhere in the wilderness, or I can just go to this pool that everyone knows about that instantly heals people. That's not what was happening. But we can see that all of these people are here. But Jesus picks one man. Look at verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. We meet the second character of our story here. We know this man has had his ailment for 38 years. That is a number that I have not yet been able to conceive of because I have not been around for 38 years. To imagine being sick, an invalid, for 38 years. This has been his reality But Jesus goes to him and speaks to the man. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, what I love about Jesus is Jesus always knows the reality of the people he's talking to. When we're talking about Nathaniel back in chapter 1 and Jesus knew who Nathaniel was, he had seen him. Later, when we've seen a, a couple weeks ago when Ted preached through the woman at the well and Jesus knew her reality, When Jesus knew what the official truly needed, when he talked to Nicodemus and told Nicodemus he needed to be born again, Jesus knows 
what people need. He knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The idea that he's been there for a long time implies that this man is laboring towards something. Why would he be at this pool? Because this is his hope. His hope of being made whole is found in this pool. That's the only thing that he can see that can make him whole. He's been broken for so long. And he's there. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? The word that Jesus uses there, the word for healed, is a word that's not used very often in in the Bible. In the whole of Scripture, that specific word is only used ten times. Five of those times are in this passage. The word is the word for wholeness. To be made complete. To be made sound. Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made whole? Now, in light of where they are, That's kind of an obvious question, isn't it? In light of knowing that this man has been here for a long time, doesn't it almost come across as insensitive? Hey, man, uh, you're obviously sick. You're obviously in pain. You're here because you want to be healed. Uh, Don't you want to be healed? Like, it could come across if, if the guy's there listening to this and it's like, Really? I'm here lying on this bed. I can't move. You walk up to me, and then you ask me, hey, don't, don't you want to be healed? Like, get in the water, man. Like, what's, what, what gives? What, why, what's stopping you? And the man says, answers him, and, and we don't know for sure his, his reaction to this, but I, I think it's okay to imagine that he's kind of annoyed. This guy's asking him. He's been here a long time. He's already tried multiple times. And he says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. He's been trying to fix the problem. But he sees that there are these things, these are, there are these barriers that are keeping him from get, becoming whole. And if he could just remove those barriers, it would be okay. If he could just get someone to carry him down, then he would be whole. If he could just be a little bit faster than the next guy, then his problem would be solved. He still thinks he can do it. He just needs to fix a few things. But what he doesn't recognize is that the solution and the true hope of wholeness is standing before him and speaking to him. He has no idea that the one who can truly make him whole just asked him, do you want to be made whole? Instead of answering the question that Jesus asks, he tells Jesus his plan. He tells Jesus how he's going to fix the problem, how he's going to make it right. There's an application here for us. How often do we do the same thing? But unlike the man who doesn't know who Jesus is, we know who Jesus is. We have his word. He has revealed himself to us. He is the one that makes us whole. But instead of believing that, instead of of seeking Jesus who can make us whole, We keep on using tools that cannot do it, thinking that if we try harder, if we run faster, that's going to work. But it doesn't. Only Jesus can make us whole. Our works can't do it, but we we strive after these things. We run after them. But here comes this man that asks us, do you want to be made whole? And the person who asks that question is the only one who can truly do it. So in this place of brokenness and frustration, after so much time where the solutions that he sought haven't worked, look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. 
Wow. Let's, let's just think about that. Sometimes we get to signs of the Bible and we're like, yeah, cool. Like, okay, yeah, someone was healed. No, no, no. Stop and think about this. He's been sick for 38 years. He has tried everything humanly possible to fix this. He is living in this place near a pool just in hope that he could get in the water at the right time. And a man comes up and says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus changed everything, and it wasn't even close to how the man thought it would happen. What just adds to the awesomeness of the story is what it says in verse 9, and at once the man was healed. Look at the juxtaposition of time in this passage. He's been sick for 38 years. He has been there for a long time. Jesus speaks, and at once he was made whole. When we're thinking about our own lives, because we're going to go to the illusion of how Jesus makes us whole. We can spend lifetimes seeking after things that would just fill up the void that we have. Something that would make us complete. And we keep trying and we try and we try and we spend a lifetime doing it. But in that moment where we trust Jesus, at once he makes us whole. This demonstrates the power of of God. God's words spoke creation into existence. Here, God's words heal a man. Next week, when we get later in the passage, we're going to see that the words of God literally have the power of life and death. We're going to see that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, those who hear the power of God's words, his words have the power of life. But our works can never make us whole. Only Jesus can. The question is, are we trusting Jesus to do the work? Or are we continually thinking that our man-made methods are going to be enough? They're not. Our works can never make us whole, but Jesus can. Now at this point, we could stop here. We've gone through the paragraph. We've seen an element of, of Jesus' power but is that everything that John wants to show us in, in sharing this story? No, there's something more going on here. In fact, when we look at the story of this man who was healed, we're actually going to see an illustration, an allusion to the story of the Jews. We're going to see a the, the truth of uh, the story of humanity. We're going to look and see that just like the man who thinks that it's his works that are going to save him, it's the things that he does that are going to make him whole, we'll see that the Jews have the same hope, that we as humanity often do the same thing. Kids, right now what I want you to draw, the next picture that I want you to do, do is I want you to draw a group of people that are angry at Jesus. Draw a group of people who are angry at Jesus. Let's move on to verse 5, uh, uh, no, verse 9, the second part of verse 9. Starts like this. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. This second paragraph starts with a problem. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. Cue dramatic music. The dun-dun-dun-dun. Something is happening here. Jesus just did this sign. But the day he did it was the Sabbath. The man obeyed Jesus. He picked up his bed. He walked. He left. But then the Jews see him, and the Jews come up to him and say, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. What's the big deal here? What, what's going on? 
Now, there is an element here. It's, it's hard to know if this man actually did break the law. There's one passage in Jeremiah 17, 21 that talks about not carrying burdens on the Sabbath, but uh, there's good evidence also to see that this man really wasn't breaking the law of Moses, but he was breaking the tradition of the elders. See, one of the things that the Jews had did, and we're going to get into why, the Jews had made all of these extra rules to really make sure that people stuck to the law. They had 39 other things about the Sabbath, and the last one was you could not carry something from one house to another. And so they see this guy, and to them, he has broken the tradition of the elders. He has broken the law. Okay. We, but we see people break the law. This week, how many people saw people jaywalking? And how many of you, what are you doing? You're jaywalking. You can't do that. How many times do we see people sin? And we're like, oh, okay, no, I'm not, that's not my, my place. We see these things. But these Jews are indignant that this man's doing it. What's going on? Why is it such a big deal? Well, remember that the invalid story in it, there is a pattern that connects to the Jews. And I want you to notice this pattern. Here's a question. Do you think that the Jews at the time of Jesus saw themselves, saw their nation as whole or broken? Did they have everything that they thought they should have? That, that this was the blessing that God had promised? That they were just enjoying the wholeness of being God's people? No. They didn't think that this was the way it was supposed to be. They saw themselves as an occupied nation. They were broken. They had problems. So what was their solution? How did they think that they would become whole? What were they going to do to be, go from brokenness to wholeness? Well, it's simple. If they wanted to be made whole, everyone had to follow the laws and not worship idols. If they wanted to be whole, they needed to follow the laws. One of those laws was the Sabbath. The problem was they'd been trying that, and it hadn't worked. They'd been trying to be made whole. And so what did they start doing? You know what? Maybe we're not following the law closely enough. Let's, let's make it better. Let's fill it out a little bit more so that then we will be made whole. So they started adding these other things to make the law. But here's the thing. You can't add to what God says and make it better. But that's what they're trying. Why are they trying to do that? Because that's their hope. Are you seeing the parallel, the pattern between the Jews and this man? This man who is broken and his hope is the works that he'll do, is being able to get into the pool? The Jews who are broken and their hope is in what they will do? But there's a more to the pattern because there's also a reason they're not doing it. What did the man say? It's these, uh, I don't have someone to take me. Other people get me there first. Meaning, it's other people who keep me from being whole. Look at the Jews. It's other people that are keeping us from being whole. It's not our problem. We follow the Sabbath. It's these other people that are walking around carrying their beds on the Sabbath. They're the problem. But who is the only one who could make them whole? They've been trying the works of the law for years, for centuries. And that hasn't worked, just like the man worked so long and it still never made him whole. Who is the only one that can truly make the Jews whole? Jesus, God. And he's there. He's before them. The word took on flesh. He's there in their midst. The one who can truly make them whole is there. Just like he was there asking the question to the man. But do the Jews recognize who he is? No. In fact, even when it is clear who he is through his signs, they still reject him. They don't see him as the man who can make them whole. 
Now, don't miss the irony here. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? The purpose of the Sabbath was a time of rest. We saw that God rested on the seventh day. It was a time where in, in, in the books of the law, it talks about allowing people to rest, allowing the land to rest, animals to rest. It was a time of worship, a special time that was set aside to worship God. It was meant to demonstrate trust. When we think of Exodus, where, where God tells them to gather on the sixth day more food and then not do anything on the seventh, that means trust God that he will provide for you. But these Jews aren't doing that on the Sabbath. They've taken rest and made it work. They look at the rest and they say, we need to work at making our day of rest what it's supposed to be. They look at this man and saying, you're doing it wrong. They're not worshiping God. Why aren't they worshiping God? Because they think that the solution is themselves. Who are they worshiping? Themselves. They think that they're the solution. It's idolatry. And they're not trusting God. They're not trusting God to be the one who does the work. They're trusting themselves to do the work. So to the Jews, breaking the Sabbath was a big deal. It's the reason they aren't whole. So they challenged the invalid. It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. They're upset. This guy's in trouble. But see how he responds. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but Man, this kind of feels like what happens in the Garden of Eden. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nope, 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 not, not me. It's, 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 it's that guy over there. He, he's the reason that I'm breaking the rules. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Who is the invalid deferring to? Who is he trying to appease in this moment? Is it the man who healed him and said, no, I'm going to follow this man? Or is it these Jews who are challenging him about works? It's the Jews. This is so different. In a couple weeks, we're going to be in chapter 9, where again, Jesus is going to heal a person on the Sabbath, but this time he heals a blind man. And again, the blind man is challenged by the Jews but the blind man's having nothing, nothing, none of it. They challenge him, and he gives it right back to them. And he's like, are you not blind yourselves? Can you not see? The guy who was blind is now calling the Jews blind because they can't see what Jesus is doing. But that doesn't happen in this passage. In this passage, the guy throws Jesus under the bus, not once, but twice. He goes back to the works of the law. He goes back to submitting to them. But look what information he gives, even in his answer that throws Jesus under the bus a little bit. He still gives some good information. The information he gives him is, one, Jesus healed me. Two, Jesus told me to pick up my bed and walk. Although he doesn't know it's Jesus, the man. The man healed me. The man told me to pick up my bed and walk. Now, of those two things, which is the more revealing about the character of, and identity of Jesus. The two things that he says, the man healed me, the man told me to pick up my bed and walk. If you hear that statement, what's the more surprising of those two statements? He healed me. If you're going to want further questions, if you're going to ask a follow-up question, that's the part you're going to focus on. I don't know about you guys. That's not a conversation I have much where people come up to me and say, oh yeah, I was an invalid for 38 years. I tried a lot of things and then instantly I was healed. Interesting, but who told you to pick up your sleeping bag? Do you see the contrast? Look what they ask him. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? He's already told them, the man healed me. That man told me to pick up my bed. Mm, mm, interesting, interesting. And, and who was it that told you to pick up your bed and walk? That's right. But what, is, what, is, what are the Jews demonstrating here? They're blind. They can only see their own solution. Their only hope is their man-made methods. Here, someone tells them the sign that reveals the identity of Jesus. Only Jesus could have done that. But all they can see 
is the problem, the barrier that's keeping them from their solution, from their way of being made whole. Friends, we do the same thing so often. Before salvation, how much did we hold on? We had seen the truth of the gospel, but we did not accept it because we were holding on to our own solutions. I'll just be good enough. It's a big scale. As long as I'm a good enough person, that will make me whole. As long as I do these works, that's enough. We hold on to that thinking that will make us whole, but our works can never make us whole. But Jesus can. But even after salvation, how much do we still go back to those things? The man had already been made whole. But he goes back. He goes back and tries to submit to these other things. We've been made whole. We've placed our faith in Jesus. But we still think, well, no, but what will really make me whole is these other things as well. We need to see Jesus as the only solution to trust in him. Look at verse 13. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him, second time that Jesus found him, in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Again, you almost see this contrast of the, 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 this man who keeps on being found by Jesus, but keeps on turning away from Jesus, but that Jesus is pursuing. Friends, that's our story. We did not pursue God. We did not find, oh, we need a solution, and we were the ones that discovered Christ, and that's what saved us. No, Christ pursued us. The Word became flesh and was revealed to humanity. Jesus found us. Jesus is the one who seeks us to make us whole. But Jesus finds him again, and Jesus' words are interesting. He says, "Sin, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What's the implication of what Jesus is saying there? The implication is that the reason the man was broken, the reason the man was an invalid, was because of his personal sin. That's an uncomfortable thought for us these days. We don't like thinking about, oh, that, that this man was an invalid because of a sin that he had done. Now, that is not a universal truth. We should not become like people, like Job's friends, who see anyone going through anything and say, oh, definitely because you sinned. Is it true that all hardships are a result of living in a fallen world? Yes. But is it true that every person who is struggling is because of their own personal sin? No. Again, when we get to chapter 9, they're going to ask Jesus, who sinned that this man was blind? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus said, none. No one. That wasn't why he was born blind. It was to glorify God. So we should be very cautious before looking at the hardship of another and saying, oh, it's definitely because of your sin. That being said, We don't want to swing so far in that pendulum to say that there are never times where we suffer because of personal sin. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead because they lie to Peter. In the Old Testament, over and over again, people are struck with sickness, with leprosy because of their sin. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul warns us on how we take the Lord's Supper because because people are doing it wrong, there are some who are sick and even dying. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one, of, one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, why is this important? Again, it shows the pattern. What was the man relying on to be made whole? Man-made methods. What had caused him to be broken in the first place? His own sin. Friends, that's where we are. Why are we not whole? Because of our own sin. Why is Israel broken? Because of their sin. 
If they think that man-made methods are what is going to solve the problem, no, man-made methods is what got them in that place. That's the reason they're broken. Go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The man's still looking for the approval of men. He leaves. Jesus has just told him something, and he goes, and, and where he could not be bothered to go and look for Jesus, now he goes and finds the Jews, and he, and he throws Jesus under the bus again. He tells them who it was that told him to get up and walk on the Sabbath. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, right now, if you're a problem fixer, you're looking at this and you're like, okay, there's an easy solution here. If Jesus, okay, we, we can get by this. They're a little upset right now because, they, you know, Jesus did something on the Sabbath, but we can get by this. What's the easy solution? Stop doing things on the Sabbath. Are they upset that Jesus healed the guy? No. They didn't even, they completely ignored that fact. What they're upset about is that Jesus did it on the Sabbath. There's an easy solution. Jesus, if I'm one of his disciples, hey man, we're getting a little bit, it's getting a little heated here. Uh, this ministry is kind of ramping up and people are kind of getting upset. Just, just don't do it on the Sabbath. It's fine. Do everything you're doing, just don't do it on the Sabbath. Is Jesus interested in coexisting though? No, because he makes it much, much worse. <laughs> Look what he says. But Jesus answered them. He gives a defense for what he's doing. My father is working until now and I am working. What did Jesus just tell them? He just told them something they can't look past. If he had stopped doing on the Sabbath, they probably could have gotten past that. But what he just said, there's no going back from that. Look at the result. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Jesus upped the ante, and so they went right up there with him. They're trying to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, we could have gotten past this. This wasn't a hard problem to fix. Why are you taking it and making it to something they can't look past? They're not going to look past you claiming to be God. They're not going to look past you claiming to be equal with God. Because Jesus isn't interested in coexisting. Because do you know what coexisting does? Coexisting condemns the, them to hell. If he just coexists with them, they, the wrath of God remains on them. Coexisting with them is letting them continue to think that following their man-made methods will save them. But they won't. And so Jesus goes to them and says, No, I'm, I'm going to tell you why I'm doing these things. Because I'm God. I'm the one who can make you whole. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is still wanting to save them. He's still asking them, do you want to be made whole? Because if you want to be made whole, I'm the only one who can do that. Our works can never make us whole, but Jesus can. Friends, if you're here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, there is nothing else that can make you whole. I don't care how many man-made methods. I don't care how good your plan is. There will always be barriers that you cannot do it enough. Trust in Jesus as your only salvation because he can make you whole. He died in your place. He fixed the problem. He rose again. But I also want to talk to the believers See, even after salvation, even after we've been made whole, how often do we go back and we start thinking that we need to trust our own works again? Jesus brings something so much better. We don't need to do that work anymore. 
the work of striving after our own salvation. We don't do that work anymore. Instead, we have rest. It's interesting that this passage is all around the Sabbath and that we see the difference between works and rest. Right now, as you're trying to to still do things and, and you've placed your faith in Jesus, but there's still an element where you're looking to be whole, rest. Jesus made you whole. It's not your works. You don't have to work for your salvation. Rest. Worship. Now, now works and worship externally often look very similar. They look very similar from someone on the outside saying, well, wait a second, you guys do a lot of the same things that we tell people to do, but they're very, very different. Works and worship look the same, but here's the difference. Works are something you do in order to achieve salvation. Worship is something you do because you have received salvation. Let me say that again. Works are something you do in order to achieve salvation. Worship is something you do because you have received salvation. We, on this day, this Sabbath that we have in Christ, we can worship. We don't need to do these works. But it requires us to trust. Trust that Jesus has done the work we couldn't do. Because in that trust, we can have the true rest. We can have the true worship that God gives. Hebrews 4.3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 10 of Hebrews 4 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Our works can never make us whole, but Jesus can. I need my volunteers again. So Penelope, Elena, Charlotte, come back up, and I need, I need Jesus again. We're going to try this one a little bit different, okay? All right. Here's what I want you guys to do. Go ahead. Gotta ask. Can you fill it up for us? Let's see what he does. Look at that. Is that full? Is that more full than you could ever do by yourself? Even if you kept working, working, could you ever get it full like that? You can put it down. It's okay. Okay. Um, My burden is light. Okay. <laughs> Jesus fills. I don't know what it means when Jesus empties. But um, <laughs> Jesus fills. Jesus does the work that we could never do. doesn't matter how hard you try, our works can never make us whole. But Jesus can, and Jesus does.